Empire. Deal back to Hachimura. Um, first off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. It was more just shocking to hear from him and understanding that he gets the most assist for me and the most spoon-fed baskets ever. You know, the culture is actually damn good. To sit up there and to say you don't have a culture problem in the nation's capital, everything about the organization points to a culture issue. One guy took his in another guy's shoe. A little pissed off about it, but I know how I am. I was kind of expecting it. It's disrespectful. It was like Eric Killmonger going for total domination. What's up, is mine? We're not going to be fucking sunk this year with the Stanley Cup champions! This podcast is all over social media, so follow us on Twitter at Beltway Bro Pod, Instagram at Beltway underscore sports underscore bros underscore podcast. Also, the Facebook group, just search Beltway Sports Bros Podcast. And you can also find us at BeltwaySportsBros.com. There's a podcast player right on the front page. If someone you know doesn't want to or know how to download a podcast app or even knows what a podcast is, just tell them to go to the website and hit play. Simple as that. Thank you for joining us today. We are the Beltway Sports Bros. I'm Matt Vazana, and as always, my brother, Noel. Hey, Noel, how was your weekend? It was good. It was good. Uh, Big draft weekend. Kentucky Derby was on. I know you care about that. Oh, yeah. I was glued to the set. (laughs) For the five-hour pregame coverage for two minutes. God, it's so stupid. I'm sure I'm in the minority on that, but I, I can't watch that shit. Well, Medina Spirit won. Just, just, I know that's a horse that you've been eyeing, so oh, yeah. I just wanted you to know. The Mint Juleps were back. Those stupid fucking hats were back. Everybody was there. Brady was there. Rogers was there. Tons of social distancing, I'm sure. Tons. In, in Kentucky. It was half capacity. Oh, was so, it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so there we go. The horses didn't have to wear masks either. Oh, that's good. How many yeah. horses were uh, slaughtered because they broke their legs? <laughs> Jeez. No, they went ni- 19 for 19. There were 19 oh, they horses. All they all Well, off the track. I don't know what happened <laughs> after, but... <laughs> Poor things. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I uh, had a good weekend. It was, it was, you know, it was pretty quiet. I finished my, my build of the bench thing that I my did. My God, that bench that you built. I, I'm seriously impressed. You sent me that picture. Thanks. And I'm like, okay, you sent me a picture of a bench. Good job. And that, it's like, well, what, what are you doing? Oh, no, no, I built it. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, you built it. I'm like, thanks for sending me a picture of a wooden bench. Like, what the hell do I want with this? It's one of those L-shaped outside yeah, like a patio sets yeah. or whatever. Those things are like $1,200 you buy them. And I kept looking and trying to see a used one. I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to build this goddamn thing. 33 two by fours later, and here we are. Good for you, man. Hey, I'm impressed. I really am. Better you than me. Uh, I won't be building a fucking bench anytime soon, but um, it looked really good. It ain't done yet. Got to do some sanding, some painting. I'll tell you what, though. It's almost like it's all for naught because I looked at the cost of outdoor cushions they're astronomical. Absolutely. I told you that when, when you were telling me I don't know that. if all these companies got together and were like, we're just going to... Outdoor patio furniture is going to be the most expensive shit that we have. And <laughs> yeah. and these people are going to buy it. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Well, especially during the pandemic when they knew everybody was going to want to stay home yeah. and they wanted patio furniture. I mean, shit, pools went up by like 200%. I was watching something like there's a chlorine shortage because so many pools have been built really yeah it's out of control like all this stuff to stay home so you can imagine if people are building pools they want patio furniture so let's jack it up son well my neighborhood pool doesn't really enjoy putting chlorine in it at all so you know i'm sure that (laughs) 
<laughs> you can actually like That's taste good. the grossness in there. Ugh. You know, can't we get a couple extra tablets in there? I mean, what Help the us fuck's out. my HOA paying for? I have for? no clue. At the least you could do is put chlorine in my damn pool. It'd be nice. It'd be nice. A pool with a bunch of kids in it? I want that thing to scorch my skin. Yeah. I want my eyes to bleed <laughs> when I get out of the damn thing. It's like the Simpsons when Homer didn't know what to put. <laughs> and Millhouse has like white hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I want, uh, especially with yeah. COVID. Jesus Christ, load yeah. that shit up. Well, thank goodness you're vaccinated, so you won't have to worry about the chlorine. Yeah, that's still gross. But anyway, <laughs> all right, starting things off, as of this recording, the Wizards have been quite in a run as of late, winning 12 of their last 15 games. And they've gotten pretty cozy in the 10th spot, which will allow them to qualify for the play-in games. If you don't know, is new this year. The playing games, basically, the 10th and the 9th seeds have an opportunity to get to the 8th and the 7th seeds. They have to win two games against the higher seed to make that spot, or if they lose one, then they get knocked out. Hopefully that makes sense. But depending on what they do against the Pacers, uh, which was, again, before our recording, which they have two games against coming up, I think, what, the next five games which they're yeah. in the ninth spot, the magic number that the Wizards have to hit is either six wins or the Bulls and or Raptors lose six and they secure the spot. So that's pretty much where they're at right now. Bravo. I'm excited. No one wants to play I, the Wiz right now, though, Noel. They're on a fucking tear. In the play-in tournament. <laughs> like, you know, I never agree with LeBron. I hate LeBron's guts. Mm. But he is 100% right when he said, whoever came up with this shit needs to be fired. He's fired. I mean, that that quote couldn't have been said any better. (laughs) And like I said, I hate him. But this is the dumbest thing I have ever seen. I completely agree with it when they did it in the bubble. Yeah. They needed to do it because there were teams on that cusp and they didn't really know what was going to happen. But you're playing 72 games. You know who's in. Okay. You know who deserves to be in. Now, as a Wizards fan... Okay, I'm happy to see it. But the Lakers, for example, they had a lot of injuries. Shit, they've slipped in the the, uh, standing somewhat. They lose a couple more games. They're in the play-in. Good, I hope they are. And here's the thing, Matt, about Mm -hmm. this whole thing and why I agree with LeBron so much on this. Shot in the dark. Since the 1984 expansion, how many seven and eight seeds have beaten a one or two seed? Take a stab. The eight beating the one seed, I think it's happened twice. It's happened five times. Five, wow. Yes. The last time the eight beat the one was in 2012. I remember Golden State beating Dallas. That was the year before. Right, right. It happened back to back. That's right. But 2012 was the last time it happened where an eight beat a one. The Sixers beat the Bulls in in six games. Mm -hmm. And Derrick Rose blew his knee out in game one. That's right. Okay. How many times do you think a seven seed has beaten a two? Um... Seven. Five. Five as well. Look at that. Last time was 2010. The Spurs beat the Mavs in six. And that that Spurs team was a fucking beast. There was like four games separating all... (laughs) Yeah, the West. I mean, the West was so loaded at that point. I mean, it still is. The Spurs had 50 wins and they were the (laughs) seventh seed. Okay? And the Mavs had 55 wins. So that gives you an idea of how realistic this thing, 10 times since 1984, almost the amount of time you've been on this planet, Mm -hmm. 10 times it's happened. What the fuck is the point of this thing? The ones win. The twos win. Shit, the ones have won 50 titles out of the 72 that have existed. Well, as a counterpoint, I like it, not just because the Wizards are in it, but because it makes games interesting through the season. 
the Wizards, if they were in the 10th spot, they they have a chance to, to move to the eighth seed. They're a couple games back right now. Yeah. Um, so that's realistic. But if, say, you're three and a half, four, five games back, more than likely your season's over. And they are pushing for... Deservedly so. No, I agree. I don't disagree with that. But with the amount of games that are separating, amount of wins that are separating these teams, like you said, with the Spurs, they were it was like four games separating the one and the seventh seed or whatever. I think it makes more games interesting. It's not like they've expanded the playoff format. It's just that games down the line are now watchable and you're, you don't have a to shit To a certain ton- extent, they have expanded it because the 10th seed can get in to play the one. Well, it sucks to be the 7th and 8th seeds. For no sure. shit. What the hell have you busted your ass for? I personally think that they should tweak it that the ninth and the 10th seeds should have to win three games and the seventh and eighth have to win one if they're going to keep it. Like they need to make it really hard to get those seventh and eighth spots, especially if there's a, a large discrepancy. Between I could the two. see in scenarios and I think this was primarily made well off the bubble topic. Yeah, I think that was an excuse for them to add to this and they liked the concept to begin with. And this was a reason for them to experiment with it was the bubble valid. But I think that this was more so made for the West. Okay, you've got teams that are totally screwed now. Shit, this year is a little bit more even, but for an extended period of time, the seventh and eighth seed had under 500 records. Right. You don't need to be seeing nine and tens. No. And remember, there was a period of time there where they were saying, fuck East and West. The West is so much better. Let's bring them all together and we'll seed them that way. I think to avoid that happening, which I don't want to see that either. I like the East and West concept. The balance was off. So they created this more so for the West. Uh, yeah. I also think that it could be tweaked based off the discrepancy of the records. So if you're like five games ahead in the eighth spot versus the 10th seed, this adds more games. But more than likely, you should be able to get five chances to beat that team. Something like that. Make your regular season record count for something. Right. Because if you've got two games that the ninth and 10th seeds have to win, that's cutting it pretty damn close. That's a ton of pressure that they work their asses off to get to those spots. Yeah, absolutely. It should really be based off of what the difference is in losses to win. That's kind of what they did in the bubble. Remember, you had to yeah. be that certain games back of mm-hmm. it in order to be eligible. Like eight and a half or whatever it was. Yeah, and that's weird. how the Wizards weaseled their way into it. It's because they were a certain depth behind. But now it's just this blanket of seven through 10 are going to be playing this play-in. Yes, there's an advantage still for the seventh and eighth, rightfully so. But, but not enough of an advantage. Not enough of one. Not enough what of one. What if there's a discrepancy between the ninth and the eighth and it's like a half a game back? You have a one-game playoff. That would be fucking awesome. That would create some intrigue, in my opinion. But the thing is, Matt, the Bulls, for example, they have the series advantage over the Wizards, mm-hmm. right? Let's say they're tied in record and they're the 9 and the 10 spots, just for sake of argument. Now, why the hell should the Bulls have to play a freaking one-game playoff with them? We already beat the shit out of you during the regular season well, three it, times. it can also be based off of that as well. I mean, I'm just throwing out ideas. I'm just, no, you no, know, I know. I just think maybe that... Maybe you do the 2-1 two to, two to one at that point, you know, something like that. But I agree, but I think in terms of the LeBron thing, the reason why I think he's 100% right, this was a smash-and-grab thing. I think that they're trying to make revenue off a lost season, and they're not dotting their 
their I's and crossing their T's on this. They're really not. They pretty much did this with the bubble, too. They just said, fuck it. It didn't even make any sense, the system that they came up but with. But at least there was an excuse that, hey, guys, we're just trying to have basketball here. Whatever it takes. Well, that's their excuse this year because it's 10 less games. Right? Oh, God. No. And I'm not agreeing with it. I'm saying that's yeah, yeah. what they're saying. But according to the league, this is probably here to stay. Yeah. So they think this is a good idea. Now, if you think it's a good idea, I think you should have tabled it and said, okay, let's assess how it worked in the bubble. We kind of like it. Let's figure out and tweak a way where we can make this thing work. And right now, I don't think it rewards the regular season in any shape or form. If you slip a little bit or rise a little bit, it's everybody's in on the same playing field. And I just think that's ridiculous. Plus the fact that, again, going back to the seven and eights don't do shit anyway. Right. So you're playing in to lose. Well, but it creates intrigue for those bottom-feeding playoff teams. Well, yeah. I guess, and that's another argument. They know that they're going to lose anyway. So at least let's have some games that are interesting at the end of the regular season. That's kind of loser talk. Well, I mean, I mean it it's is. It's like, all right, well, we're in this playing thing. We know we're going to get our ass handed to us if we make it through, but we're in the dance. But it also lessens tanking, right? And that's a big problem in the NBA in general. That you're absolutely right about. Hey, I'm going to watch it. Hell yeah. I don't know if anybody else is going to watch it, (laughs) but I'm going to watch it. Let's move on. Sick of competing against thousands of professional bettors with algorithms? What about spending all day analyzing salary caps and lineups using other daily fantasy sites? Then you should try Monkey Knife Fight. Amazing name, by the way. I've used most, if not all the other sites, and trust me, I just stop because I don't have time to put all that work in. MKF is easy to play. MKF offers all of the major sports plus UFC, golf, esports, soccer, college basketball, NASCAR. You can pretty much bet on anything your little heart desires. MKF offers fun contests that are super easy to play. For example, there's a game called More or Less. Simply pick more or less on different player props. Think Patrick Mahomes. Will he go over his 288.5 yard number? Select more. Think Lamar Jackson. Will he stay under his 212.5 yard number? Select less. Get both right and win. Simple, right? We're getting old. The less we have to think about, the better. I've been using this site personally for the last few months, and it's so user-friendly. And honestly, it's made me actually care about what happened in, for example, the Rockets Magic game the other night. Quite possibly the least interesting game in the NBA this year. So go to monkeyknifefight.com and use our promo code BELTWAY, and you get a free $5 game just for signing up. No strings attached, I promise. You also get a first-time depositor bonus, which they cover 100%. Deposit $10, you get $10 free. Deposit $100, you get $100 free. This offer is not going to last long, so tap the link in the episode description and sign up, again, using our promo code BELTWAY. So easy, even a drunk monkey could do it. Empire. Before we get to the draft, we wanted to play a clip of our old friend Robert Griffin III. RG3! You may remember him. He was on a uh, Bleacher Report show. Apparently, he's an analyst now, and he kind of looked like a woman on this. You should check God, it out. He had, if like, have... rhinestones on and shit. Did you see his hair? Oh, my God. So... What was with the teddy bears behind him? <laughs> it was so Was he in his kid's room? <laughs> so he had He had a Baylor helmet, a Washington Redskins helmet. But it was turned so you couldn't see the logo. But it was turned so you couldn't <laughs> see the logo. <laughs> and then he had two huge teddy bears behind him. He also had so his Rookie weird. of the Year award. He did. So where the hell is this? Is this like yeah, a playroom what? slash what? off? You don't have enough rooms in your house to separate? What does he live in an efficiency? Was Just this? crammed everything into a corner? It was just a very odd room. But, it was. So... He was uh, asked on the Vikings drafting Texas A&M quarterback Kellen Mond in the third round, and he didn't really have the nicest things to say about his old teammate, Kirk Cousins. So 
going to play that for you. Check it out. He's going to look more physically impressive than the starter that's standing there at Kirk Cousins. What do we think about the spot for Kellen, too? Uh, yeah, I can tell you right now, number eight in Minnesota is probably not real happy right now uh, because Kellamon represents exactly what he doesn't do well, right? Kellamon's the, the big physical quarterback. He can run it, throw it all over the field. Um, and I don't think that that's something that number eight is able to do uh, in Cousins in Minnesota. Um, but I think that's what the coaching staff and the administration is, is looking for, should I say the organization is looking for. Uh, Mund had a lot of inconsistencies in, in his game. And the biggest thing uh, last year was, like, uh, like Connor talked about, he actually improved drastically. But some NFL evaluators looking over the course of all the years of his starts at Texas A&M, they're still a little skeptical about him. But I, I would tell you this, with great determination and great coaching, I think this is a guy that could be a real riser. And as you see, you know, uh, Cousins has been collecting checks there in Minnesota. Minnesota for a long time, taking them to eight and eight, nine and seven seasons. If he has a bad start to the year uh, like he did last year, I could see the fans and maybe the organization leaning towards Mund if he comes in and impresses. So <laughs> that was uh, so awesome. awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of sour grapes. He I sounds think what he analyzed. He was asked a question about about number eight. <laughs> he was asked a question about the Minnesota Vikings quarterback situation. And I think if it were anybody else besides Griffin, he made some valid points. Yeah. But because it's him, and you know he was just grinding in there. Yeah. It, he had a huge smile on his face the whole time, too. It was awesome. You can tell he hates his guts. Oh, my God. You know, and whoever's fault it was, I don't know. They're both pricks, to be honest. Yeah, they absolutely are. Imagine that quarterback room, though. Oh, it must have been so uncomfortable. You have arrogant asshole Griffin. <laughs> right. And you have pushover cousins. In that room. I've never been the guy in this room. Yeah. He, he's such a bitch. God, yeah, I hate he that really guy. is. Cousins just felt completely isolated and in a corner. And Griffith was just trying to gain troops on his side to just demean this guy. You just can feel that's the way it went. And they all thought he was an arrogant asshole, so they're not going to back him up either. He got right. this fucking dork, which he is. Everybody says that Cousins is the biggest fucking dork on earth. He's just like a weirdo. Ugh. Yeah, RG3 brought up some good points. He can run. He can do everything that Cousins can't. In reality, the Vikings, I mean, he's annihilating their salary cap. He's not worth the money they're paying, and they're well aware of that. But you draft no, the guy. He has been collecting checks. Yeah. He's one step below Alex Smith. We're not going to talk about it, but I just wanted to bring that up. He's been collecting checks. He hasn't been what they thought. That's why Washington didn't give him a long-term deal, because they weren't convinced that he was the guy that was going to take him to the next level. And that's exactly what he's been with Minnesota. Just like Griffin said, which was true, eight and eight, nines and sevens, is that worth this type of deal? It's not. And for what he gets paid, he's affecting the rest of the team. They exactly. Can't, they can't bring free agents in that they want to because he's taken up like a quarter of their salary cap. Yep. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not one of those upper echelon guys, a middling quarterback. Do you he's, think he's, he's going to take the error of Griffin's ways and help the young quarterback along? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, fucking right. Yeah, fucking right. He probably won't even talk to He'll this He'll tell guy. him to let Jesus take the wheel, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, couldn't happen to a yeah. better guy. I love seeing Kirk squirm. It's so good. Yeah, it's I so love good. seeing when his receivers chew him out on the sideline. Anything that can make him cringe or shake a little bit like the dork that he is makes me happy. Come on, guys. Uh, Great yeah. job, guys. Uh, I mean, I'll do better. <laughs> fucking geek. <laughs> 
I'm Byron Kerr, your host for the Curly W Podcast. Join me on the Curly W for the very latest on the Washington Nationals. We'll give you an inside look as to what's happening with the Nats right now and give you also a chance to visit with Nats players and coaches, present and past, to tell you what it's like and what they hope to accomplish with the Nationals. From Fredericksburg to Nats Park, West Palm Beach to Rochester, Wilmington to Harrisburg, it's all Nats baseball. Subscribe to Curly W wherever you get your podcasts. Another great show from Empire Media. Hello. It's Tyler Roman, former NFL scout and host of the Roman on the League podcast. Every week, I update my mock draft that not only looks at the best players available, but the needs for all first-round teams. The draft board keeps changing with all the movement this year, so tune into my show, Roman Around the League. That's R-O-M-A-N, Around the League podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and check out all of the great shows from Empire Media. Empire. All right, so... um. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so moving on to the draft. Over the weekend, Washington got some quality reviews from the main outlets. For instance, Pro Football Focus gave Washington an A-, one of my most trusted sources. I'm an analytics guy, Noel, so you know how that goes. But NFL.com <laughs> gave him a B plus. SI gave him a B plus. Mel Kuyper, he's a tough nut to crack sometimes, gave him a B. Of course, nobody has a clue. Right. These grades are ridiculous, but people have to do them. And we all read them, of course. I'm looking for everything I possibly can. Who are these guys? Who are these guys? The NFL can do no wrong, Matt. Even on shit that they have no clue what the hell they're talking about, we still read it and we still talk about it. Just sucking off the teat of the NFL. Really? I mean, it is a huge utter, man. One thing that I found pretty obvious in this draft, outside of the cheese man, uh, the long snapper, (laughs) (laughs) great name, but sidebar here, for some reason, Andrew has been calling us, like, he'll be like, hey, cheese man. It's the strangest thing. Before or after the draft. This is before cheese man. He's been doing some scouting, I guess. (laughs) He knew cheese man was coming. It it, it takes Uh, a good scout to know a long snapper, let me tell you. Especially, he said, (laughs) he he called Rivera and said, trade up for the cheese man. (laughs) It's so weird. But, you know, really just freak athletes, this draft. Obviously, the character guys, you know, I think that they have dug deep in there. And something that really struck me as well, they really drafted for need, which isn't always the best approach, as most GMs will say, you know, take the best player available, especially after the first round. Yeah, just trickle down your board and and whatever happens, happens. If you look at the draft as a whole, I mean, it was like every single need that they had, especially in like the top four, they drafted. Yeah, box checked. Linebacker needed, check. Yeah. Tackle, check. (laughs) (laughs) Here's all 10 picks really briefly. Uh, So we talked about Jamin Davis, of course. Go back to the last episode if you want to hear our thoughts on that one. But that was our first round pick. Samuel Cosme, left tackle out of Texas, kind of a swing tackle perhaps he can play both positions as a second round pick he damn well better play left tackle oh he's gonna play left tackle. Uh, fuck this swing shit as long as he's a character guy and knows his position we're good right and he's a freak fucking athlete oh he is Uh, he is and then so round three benjamin saint just just stay i don't know i'm sure we'll figure that out cornerback out of minnesota second third round pick diami brown wide receiver out of unc fourth round john bates tight end out of Boise State, round five, Derek Forrest, safety out of Cincinnati, another athletic freak. Round six, Cameron, the cheese man. Cheese man! <laughs> who they, they moved up to get a log snapper, but we'll talk about that. And then round seven, they had three picks, which they traded for. William Bradley King, defensive end out of Baylor. Shaka Tony, defensive end out of Penn State. And Dax Milne, wide receiver out of BYU. I don't know if he could play Sundays. Hard to use that one. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, so wanted to go over, and you can you can throw out a couple names if you sure. want as well. I you know I don't want to go through BYU boy or anything like that. I mean, shit, Cam Curl was a seventh round pick, very late pick. We didn't know who the hell he was. Turned out to be great. Those are few and far between. So we're going to go with the guys that we for sure will be on the team. So I'm going to start with the second round. We drafted Samuel Cosme, tackle out of Texas, like I mentioned. This guy's massive, six foot six, three hundred fourteen pounds, has thirty three inch arms, and is rated as one of the most athletic linemen ever. Not just like in this draft, like in the history. Remember that Venezuelan tight end, uh, what, Sammy Ruiz? What, what the hell's his name? Chilean. Sammy, Chilean. Well, well, They're all the shit. same to you down there, huh? <laughs> no. But, <laughs> you know, he had that, the most athletic tight end in like the history of... Yeah, doing the cones and the three cone right. and the this and the that. This guy, Cosme, is a freak athlete. Oh, no. He, well, the thing is, he came in r- small. Mm-hmm. Right when he came into Texas, and he was really fast. He bulked up as he was there, and he didn't really lose a whole lot of speed. They were saying that he ran like a four eight at the pro day. Four eight four, pretty good. The guy's over three hundred pounds running. No, that's four, what eight, I'm saying. Four, it's fucking crazy. I mean, yeah, he didn't lose a ton of attributes just because he gained a ton of weight, which is good. Yeah. No, I'm happy with the pick. I think that was one of the ones that. We kind of left off when we were going over could-be's because we were only going over a few of them. But, I mean, one thing I will say, Matt, and we were talking about the need aspect of it is, and hindsight's twenty twenty, of course, but we're talking about in the second and the third round where Washington decided to go with Cosme. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking back, and I think he'll be a solid left tackle, but they could have gotten freaking Christian Derisaw or Tevin Jenkins with their 19th pick. And they still could have gotten a very good linebacker, a starting linebacker, a plug-and-play guy potentially in Owasu Karamoa, where we talked about him as a potential pick before instead of taking Davis. Yeah, there's a reason that Owasu Karamoa fell as much as he did because he's that tweener guy. And I think a lot of teams didn't know what to do with him. I mean, more than likely, he'll be probably the best linebacker in this draft, maybe besides Malik Brown from Dallas, who, you know, unless he, you know, shoots up a school or something, which is a good possibility. But, um, (laughs) well, you know, those character guys in Dallas, they love those guys. But we were kind of talking about before Jamin Davis. He's kind of green. He's only played one full season in college. But with Owasu Karamoa, he's such a tweener that you kind of have to create a plan for him, kind of like that Sua Cravens mold. You know, he's kind of like an undersized linebacker. And, you know, I hope that he's better than him, but he was also drafting the second round because teams don't really necessarily know what to do with him. Athletic freak can cover tight ends and everything, but kind of undersized. My point was, I think looking at the way the board went, I think you could have just gotten a little bit more bang for your buck at the tackle spot at that 19 and then cross that bridge when you got there because there were still an abundance of linebackers, including him, at their second pick. That's all I'm saying. I mean, he is, at the end of the day, only a line, not only a linebacker. it, It is an important position, but it's not like, the mainstay position that you have to have in order to create an immense defense. Is that- I just think that they they love Jamin Davis. No, no, I, I totally agree. His measurables, he's a uh, much like RG3, came from a military family. That was the nail on the head for Rivera. <laughs> oh, yeah. It didn't matter if the guy had one leg. But he is probably going to start out as an outside linebacker, like weak side, but potentially can move the middle linebacker. Yeah, we went over it. I'm confident that they'll make him into a good player. Like we said in the previous podcast, they know the position better than anybody. But I was just saying, now that we're looking at the full spectrum of how the draft went, 
like you said, it looked like a lot of these were going for need. And if you're going to go for a need instead of the best guy on the board, which they went for some athletic freaks, then you go for the guy that you know has played, you know, three years at the spot. Boom, boom, wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. And then you put him in there if you're going for need, which looks like they did that here. Well, I think and you brought up Darisaw and, and we wanted him before. Yeah. We were talking about in the last episode, but apparently word on the street is that he's kind of a lazy player and that has something to do with it as well. And that made him kind of drop. He has the talent, of course. It's just that was the concern there. So I don't know. I don't know. All right. So the pick that's considered a steal, and I think we're going to have a top five on this maybe later on this week. <laughs> uh, maybe. Maybe. Unless something else comes up. But apparently uh, Washington considered taking him in the second round, but waited was wide receiver Diami Brown out of UNC. Guy ran a 4-4-6-40. He averaged over 20 yards per reception last year, second among all wide receivers with 50 receptions. So he had back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving years uh, his last two years. And he's 6-1. They kind of, people are comparing him actually to Terry McLaurin, which to have two Terrys on the team, I'm not saying that he is, but that would be pretty nice. I'm just well, saying. Well, for this guy, the only kicker on him is, is he's been labeled as a one-trick pony. That he's a deep mm-hmm. threat. He doesn't have any route tree at all. They basically had him out there just go now. And that's the real issue here. And he's been criticized for dropping the ball some. And for a guy that has limited amount of catches and is catching for long distance, you should be catching everything that comes around you. I'm not trying to be negative. I like the pick. I do. It's more speed to the team. Speed kills. The way this offense is going with athletic, fast guys that can make a difference, he fits the mold there. But he has some limitations so far. And again, he's another guy that we really don't know. You don't really know with most of them, especially after the first round. I mean, the thing is, though, it's so hard to decipher if wide receivers are good. I mean, look at Terry McLaurin. He was the third receiver on Ohio State because they were just loaded with talent. Well, I don't think that's the same thing with North Carolina, though. No, no, I, I don't disagree. But I'm saying the same things were said about him, the route tree thing. They run a very simplistic offense at Ohio State. He was uh, catching a lot of deep balls. He's one of the faster guys on the team. It's tough because they don't, in college, for whatever reason, they just don't set these guys up for the NFL. The NFL has actually had to kind of go backwards to more of the college way to fit these guys in Or they scheme. just have to completely break these guys down and start them from scratch. Whether it be the quarterback position, running hot routes, things of that nature. They just have to simplify they everything. They just have to simplify them. everything to start and hope that these guys are good in the books and they can pick it up fast. Yeah, like what Dallas did with Dak. You couldn't have had a simpler offense the first couple years he was there. And then you start adding more and more. And I think that they hopefully can evaluate that he is able to you know, run all the routes. Apparently, I, you know, I've read numerous things and seen some of his film. And he seems that when he's given the chance, he's able to run some pretty good routes. But it's all about what team you're on, too. If they say go deep because you're the fastest guy on our team, then go deep because you're the best athlete on the field. It's a tough spot to be in. It's a, it's a double-edged sword kind of thing. No, I mean, hey, speed kills. You can't teach that. So he's already out the gate an advantage over a lot of guys. I mean, and speaking of speed, I do like the Picasaurus size. I think in this case, they did take the guy, the best guy off the board. We were talking about them taking a lot of needs is the uh, St. Just pick or St. Just A. If, if it has an accent. <laughs> yeah. I think that this was a pick that they liked the size of the kid and they figured that they can mold him into something. In a corner, if he's going to be an outside corner, you can't teach this kind of size. The guy's 6'3", 200. Long arms, lanky. I mean, the one kicker is when you've got a guy that big, he has some deficiencies. 
backpedaling off, sticking with the receiver off there. If he doesn't get his hands on the guy, is he fucked? If he goes against a guy like McLaurin, for example. Well, I've also heard that they could potentially move him to free safety as well. He's a perfect size for that. No, I, I completely agree. If that's what their thinking process is, good. But I think this was too much to pass up as far as the size of this kid and the maneuverability that he would have at safety if that's something that they're thinking about doing. But that is a serious work in progress if that's the plan. That's not plugging in at center fielder you know, and expecting him to go out there just because he's a big dude. One thing about this scheme, though, is mostly it's his own scheme, but a lot of it is based off of their abilities, you know, and playing to their strengths. I have faith in these guys will put them in the right spot. They're able to mask deficiencies pretty well in the secondary. Well, man, if, I mean, if he pans out, and let's say, for example, halfway through the year, he starts to develop into something that they want to see, and they throw him on the outside. They've got Jackson on one side. They've got Fuller in the slot. And him. And that's where Fuller should be. And that's where Fuller should be. And he is awesome at that spot. Yeah. And then, hey, great. I mean, he's a third-round pick. He might not be a starter right away. That That's not the intention of a third round. If you find a diamond in the rough like a McLaurin or something like that, great. But those don't mm-hmm. happen all the time. If this guy can develop, and, and corner's one of the toughest positions to play in football, especially the modern-day football. Yeah. So for him... If he can develop into something, but that was definitely, we're talking about needs, that's definitely one that they saw, okay, this guy, he has the physical attributes that we can we can do something with this. Corner, it's a need, but it's not a desperate need. And I think that in that situation, it's like we, we can bring this guy along kind of slowly and get him up to speed where he needs to be. He's got all the physical attributes, so we can kind of bring a raw guy in. I mean, this guy has a huge ceiling. Right now, I don't think he's he's an upper echelon guy, but he's got a huge ceiling based off his, uh, you know, the his old, attributes. The old ceiling. Uh, you love, he does. I mean, if, that's why you draft guys in the third I round. No, I draft. understand. It's just, ugh. You just, you hope. And that's all this is. When you have a good coaching staff, you have the ability to coach guys up. If this guy was coached by Greg Minuski and the crew, I'd be a little concerned. Who's now a, uh, what does he do now? Kentucky? He's a quality control coach. Yeah. In Kentucky. You go from, from... Hey, we got a Kentucky linebacker, Matt. That's what he played. Maybe he developed He's him. quality control. He's not developing anybody. Got, give get, get, He's give him his due. <laughs> Maybe they called him up and they said, hey, man. What do you think, Minuski? Help us with Davis here. We got an athletic freak. What do you think, Manu? <laughs> as far as this draft, you know, we, you went over the ratings and all that and the grades. I know we're not experts at this, but how do you? How comfortable do you feel after this draft? I think that they drafted a lot of speed, a lot of athleticism, as I've mentioned numerous times. Outside of really John Bates, who is just huge, big guy, and you know, prototypical blocking tight end. One thing I wanted to mention, I'll answer that question in a second, but I was watching the draft, and one of the guys said that he has the second best hands behind Kyle Pitts in this draft. He has very pillowy hands, Noel. So yeah, I don't think he was just given the chance at Boise State for whatever reason. Yeah, that, Regardless that's of what that. they said about Thaddeus Moss, too. Well, womp, womp. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> to answer your question, I, I think that they draft guys with a lot of upside. I think that the way that this roster is, is shaping up, they've got a lot of speed. They know they still needed speed on defense. Derek Forrest, that guy is another freak athlete drafted in the fifth round, you know, out of Cincinnati. People are so high on this guy. I mean, not like Washington football team people, like people that are out there and had no idea how he was still there in the fifth round. 
I'm not going to give it like a letter grade because who the fuck knows? I think it's stupid to do that. But I think with the way that this roster is currently sitting, they had the ability to draft guys that had upside. I think like like John Bates, you need a blocking tight end. You know he can do that well at first. Maybe he'll work into something as more of a pass catching tight end later on, but you don't necessarily need that right now. So I don't know. I think that it's outside of the cheese man. I mean, which is the best pick of all. You of know them. that well, he's a he's an aspiring dentist. Hmm. Yeah, little snippet <laughs> there. He's like the guy from uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. He's the cheese man. <laughs> I think that there's just a lot of guys with upside, and I think that you got the coaching staff to bring the best out of these guys. Um, I. Rivera does some questionable things, but I think when it comes to developing guys, I think they're pretty damn good at it and can see talent when it's there. Well, I think that it was a need to know. This could either be, I think, a really, really good draft where they get a bunch of athletic, like you said, athletic freaks that can really plug in some deficiencies that they had, or this could be a complete and utter disaster. I don't think there's any in between here. I don't think they're going to find a guy in here that... Beyond, like you said, Bates, who is just coming in initially to just block and help out the running game, that some of these guys that need to come in and play critical spots on a football field, if they're not there and this doesn't work out, this could be a serious downturn. Now, do I know? And nobody knows. But The I, experts don't know. No, no, no. Nobody knows. I'm completely in agreement there. For me, all this upside talk and all this athlete talk, this could either go extremely well or horrifically bad. So I'll give it right now a to-be-determined. How about that? TBD. I don't know. Nobody knows. We'll just see. We just have to see, Noel. Either way, we're going to be watching. We're either going to be very impressed or tortured. One of the two. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. We're on all major podcast platforms. Please rate, review, and subscribe. If you like this show, please share it on social media. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, the Facebook group, and our website, BeltwaySportsBros.com. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on Friday.